You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, today we're starting a new series called Dancing with Porcupines, and this is a, rela- uh, this is a series on relationships, and we're going to be talking about uh, some of the passages in the Bible where we have people that had conflict in their relationships, trying to learn some principles about how we can get along better in our relationships. Now, the uh, Dancing with Porcupine title came from uh, actually Chuck Swindoll, who was a famous radio preacher. Uh, years ago, I heard him, he said that... Um, that relationships are like people, like porcupines trying to dance together, that they are constantly poking each other. The ironic thing about porcupines is they long for intimacy. They want to be close, but they can't get close to anybody. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, you really want some relationships and you wish you were better at connecting with people, better with people, but you're having trouble connecting to people. And I think that's the true of all of us. A porcupine has 30,000 quills, Weighs between uh, five and seven pounds. Uh, Nobody has a porcupine pet. Porcupines are solitary animals. And you say, well, if they're solitary animals, how do they reproduce? Well, about once a year, there's this uh, window of time when the female porcupines are open for dinner and a date. You know, they're willing to go out. And uh, the funny thing is, it's sort of hard. And so the uh, porcupine, the male porcupine and the female porcupine will spend a couple days together. And ironically... Sometime during that period of time, they will stand on their hind legs and they'll kind of do a little dance and touch each other's paws. And, uh, and so they learn how to pull those quills in and connect so that there can be little porcupines. So anyhow, that's, uh, that's the thing about porcupines. But I think we're a lot like porcupines. I think we want to be close to people. We all long for intimacy. We, better, we wish we had good friends. We wish we were closer in our marriages But we have these issues that keep us from getting close. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So today we want to look at a famous uh, uh, argument in Scripture. And uh, I always like to base what I talk about on Scripture. And when I thought about um, conflict and relationships, I immediately thought of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. One of my favorite stories that shows two really, really good people that had conflict with each other. And uh, let's see what we can learn from looking at their story. It's found in Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia And not continued with them in the work of the Lord. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brethren by the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the disciples. And then it says in uh, Acts 15.13 the incident that calls the debate. uh, Acts 15.13 from Pappas. Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, the thing about uh, this story is, uh, I think it's painful somewhat. When you look at this story, you see, you know, two really wonderful men having an argument in the early church. 
And I think it's a little bit painful. It's not a picture I want to think about. I, I like to think about Paul and his companions always getting along, you know, walking in harmony. Because, you know, unity is a very, very beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see unity. And I think disunity is not pleasant to look at. And it's not pleasant when you see a couple in the mall that's having an argument. You see the tension between them. Karen and I have been in restaurants, I know you have as well, where you see people that are obviously not connecting well and there's some type of thing. And it's not a pretty picture. But the Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 133 that, that unity and getting along is a beautiful thing. When you see an aged couple that have been together for 60-some years holding hands and walking down a street, it's a beautiful picture. And here's what uh, the psalmist writes. It says, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. If you read the Psalms and you look at your Bible, it probably says song, Psalm of Ascent. What that means is, is that the, uh, the children of Israel three times a year had to come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord in a festival. So this is, a, this is one of those pictures where from every tribe, every part of Israel... Every you know, surrounding area, all the people of God are coming up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is elevated, so you always go up to Jerusalem and you always go down from Jerusalem. And so the psalmist here is writing how beautiful it is when all these different tribes and all these different people come together. He says it's good and it's pleasant. So unity is something that's very beautiful, and it's something we desire to have in our relationships and something we want to have in our marriages, we want to have in our friendships, we want to have in our HOAs. We want to learn how to get along better. But here's the thing about unity. Unity is not automatic. Unity is not instantaneous. Unity requires effort. If you are going to have a good marriage and a good relationship, it is going to require effort. Now, here's one of the great myths. One of the great myths is, is this. If I, here's the myth. Myth is, this great myth is one of the great myths of relationships is if you love someone, getting along with them comes naturally without any effort. That's a myth. Because good relationships require effort and energy. Now, Karen and I, we've been married for a bunch of years, you know, 45 years, actually. 45 years, just last August, Karen and I were married, and that's a long time to be married to somebody. It's a long time for Karen to be married to me, I'll tell you that. And, uh, you know, our relationship has evolved where we've learned to really get along, and it hasn't always been easy. We've had to work at our relationship, and I think all relationships that are great require effort and work, and just last Sunday... Uh, we were getting ready for church last Sunday morning, and uh, we heard this noise uh, in our walk-in closet. And what we heard was one of the shelves on Karen's side had collapsed and fallen off the wall that had all of Karen's dresses on it, just collapsed on the floor. She had some things stacked on there, and oh, terrible, terrible thing. We were getting ready for church. We didn't have time to, to do anything about it, you know, but there were her dresses laying on the floor and holes in the, in the wall board, and you know, so, oh, I thought, man, that's something I'm going to have to take care of uh, next weekend on Saturday, and I, I was thinking, you know, Saturday's sort of my home repair day, 
And so uh, we came home for church after having a wonderful church service. We had lunch. And then after lunch, what I like to do is on Sundays, I like to take a nap. How many of you are nappers on Sunday? You like to take a nap. I basically go into a coma on Sundays is what I do. So I was thinking, I'm going to like take a nap, watch some football, and just chill out. And Karen is in the bedroom feverishly working carrying her dresses around and I assumed that she knew where the dresses were going to go and this did not involve me because I had planned (laughs) to take care of this uh, the next Saturday and Karen walked by and she said aren't you going to help me I said well I guess I am I didn't know where to put those dresses and all that forgive me and so I went in there and then she said she said I want to fix this today I said honey Honey, I mean, we're tired, we worked, we've been at church, I'm going to take care of this on Saturday. I said, we're not going to fix this today. So we were at Lowe's buying the stuff <laughs> to fix the, uh, the, the, the little shelf there and our little hanger, hangers for our dresses. And we spent the next three hours or so fixing that wall and trying to get that all, you know, kind of together. And it was really, really a little tense at times. And here we're, we love Jesus. We love each other. We've been married 45 years. We've got two kids. We've got four grandchildren. Grandchildren. We're in the ministry. And I'm trying. I couldn't find the studs right. We had to buy a stud finder to find the studs. I'm trying to get it in. And the drills weren't going in right. And there was, and she was holding it. We had the level. And there were times that I was not thinking about Jesus when I was doing that. But I can just imagine what that would have been like 20 years ago when we had an event like that. And so finally, we got that thing together. And I tell you what, you can do pull-ups on that now. That thing is in there. (laughs) And she gave me a big old hug, gave me a big old kiss. Thank you so much for doing that. Well, I didn't feel like I had a choice, but I'm glad I was able to help. (laughs) But the truth is relationships require work they require effort you know you know sometimes people they feel like we're in love it should be natural it should just we shouldn't have to work at it It should be like a water slide you just going on the ride it's all comes so easy but all of us that have had successful relationships and there's many people in this room uh, that have many many successful relationships and some of you have been married longer than Karen and I and you know the truth that 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 re- good relationships require effort now let me give you some scripture for that first of all let me give you this scripture it's found in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 here's what Paul says be completely humble and gentle be patient Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. What does that mean? That means to to have patience with each other. And Karen had patience with me. I had patience with her as we went through that. And then here's what Paul says. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So relationships require effort and hard work. And we need to dispense of that myth that if we love each other, everything's going to go fine. Good friendships require hard work. I've had some friendships that have been on the rocks at times. And it requires, you know, you never want to dispense or throw away a valuable relationship. You want to work on that relationship and make it work. When it says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit uh, through the bond of peace. The word there, make every effort, is, a, is the word pastazo in the Greek, and it means to be hasteful, to quickly, 
work on working the, on the relationship, to, to do quickly to work on the relationship, and to extend, expend energy and effort to make the relationship work. Sometimes when there's a problem in the relationship, we put off working on the relationship. We put off going to counseling. We put off doing what we need to do. And the word there, make every effort, has, means to work with haste. It means you quickly work on the relationship. Some relationships that go south and have difficulty, things can build up. And if you put off working on that relationship, it becomes very difficult to fix that relationship. So make haste and work on the relationship. The book of Hebrews collaborates with this. The book of Hebrews says this. Make every effort. This is Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So good relationships require uh, effort. So remember that's important. And we think about our relationships. If there's anything that deserves effort, if there's anything that deserves uh, our energy and our focus, it's our relationships. Our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our friends, our relationship with our adult children. You know, some of you have adult children. I just read a book, and actually I'm reading a book, and uh, those of you that are in a relationship with adult children, there's virtually nothing written on how to relate to adult children. We have a lot of books about how to raise kids and all that, but nobody's written a book about how to relate to your adult children. And I just uh, found a couple books. One book is called How to Relate to Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the, door, the Welcome Doormat Out. And really, really good book. And, uh, and there's a couple other books. So you want to work out your relationship with your adult children. You want to make sure that you're not too invasive. We'll talk about that a little bit in, in, the, in this series as well. Now, uh, one of the things that Paul and Barnabas, that situation teaches us, it teaches us this principle. Good people have conflict with each other. Good people have conflict with each other. So Paul, uh, Paul is a good man. Uh, and in this story, you don't have like a good person and a bad person. You don't have like, um, you don't have like uh, Barnabas is wearing the black hat and Paul is wearing the white hat. Paul's the good, do- good guy. Barnabas is the bad guy. And it's not a bad, good uh, person conflict. It's two good people having a conflict. So it's important in a relationship that when you have conflict with somebody that you don't demonize the other person, that you don't begin to turn them into a monster, that this person has got all of these problems, it's all their fault and all that. I guarantee you in most conflicts, there's something that you have to deal with and there's something that the other person has to deal with as well. So make sure that you don't demonize the other person. We do this at the macro level in our country. You know, we demonize people that disagree with us politically. We demonize people that have a different philosophy we do. And so we have to watch out for demonizing uh, people that, are, that we have conflict with and turning them into bad people. Because uh, in this conflict, we know that Barnabas is a good guy. He's a good guy. It's not that he's a bad guy. In fact, his name really is Joseph, uh, and his nickname is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
Barnabas is always encouraging people. He's always helping people. He's always lifting people up. And he's just this incredible person. He sold a bunch of his property and gave it to the church. And when Paul was not accepted by the apostles, when he became a Christian, nobody trusted him. It was Barnabas that took Paul and brought him in to this uh, relationship and brought him in to meet the other apostles. Barnabas is a very, very good man. And Paul is a good man. You know what I love about Paul? And this is important in all of our relationships. Paul is able to admit he's wrong. Paul is able to admit he's wrong. How do do you know that Paul is able to admit he's wrong? Well, when you look at Paul's life, in Acts chapter 9, he was against Christianity. He was against the followers of Jesus. He was persecuting them. He was pouring out his his disdain on them. And he had this vision on the road to Damascus where he saw Jesus and he realized that Jesus was real. And it says after three days being in, on Straight Street in Damascus that Paul got up and he was baptized. And immediately he began to preach the gospel. So Paul did a 180. When he realized that he was wrong, he changed directions. And listen, here's something about good relationships. Good relationships require your capacity to admit that you're wrong. And here's the thing. Uh, everybody is wrong sometimes. Say it with me. Everybody is wrong sometimes. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a totally innocent person. So if you're going to have a good relationship, you have to have humility to admit you're wrong. Now, here's the thing that we struggle with. You say, well, I'm the one always admitting I'm wrong. It's always me, and then they never admit they're wrong. And you've got a scorecard. And you're counting how many times you apologize and how many times they apologize, and you're, you're way up there and they're not apologizing. It's not your job to worry about them. It's your job to worry about you. And when you have a spirit of humility in your relationship, and here's what humility is. Humility is not kneeling down in front of a bunch of people. Humility is not like this, this self-effacing personality where you're really, that's not humility. That doesn't mean anything. Some of the most shy people in the world are some of the proudest people. What really uh, validates humility is your capacity to stand up and say, I was wrong, and to take responsibility for your mistakes. And when you do that, you interject into the relationship humility. And here's what God said, the Word says about what the Lord says in his word. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if I were to say, what has the Lord used in our relationship, Karen and I, over the years to keep us going and to keep our relationship healthy and good. I believe that the Lord has put grace on our relationship because we've allowed a spirit of humility to be in our relationship. That means sometimes Karen has to admit that she's wrong. And uh, I never say, it's your turn, admit you're wrong. You know, that's always going to end bad. How many know that? (laughs) But I have to say, when I've really messed up, not to blame her, not to say, I did this because... Or, I got angry because of what you did. That's blame shifting. That's not an apology. An apology is when you take full responsibility for what you did wrong. And Paul had the capacity to say, I was wrong. And he changed directions in his life. And that's an important thing. But here's what it, what it does. Uh, and I've seen pride. Pride destroys, destroys more relationships than anything. You've got two stubborn people. 
living in a, a dating relationship or they're living in a marriage or they're in some situation or it could be in a, in a business situation, you've got two partners, you've got pride where everybody's protecting their turf, everybody's playing poker, nobody's being honest about what's going on and, and, and they, they don't take responsibility. But you show me a relationship where you can say to another person, you know what, I have to say I was wrong about that. And, and God will put, when you do that, God says, I'm going to help that relationship. I'm going to breathe life into that relationship because God resists the proud. He's not helping people that are pride, prideful. But people that are humili- have humility and people that can admit their mistakes and admit that they're wrong, the Holy Spirit pours out grace on that relationship. He helps them. It's like if you've ridden uh, bikes, if you're a, a cyclist and you ride bikes on the road, you know what it is to ride into the wind. Uh, last night, Karen and I took a little bike ride, and on the way uh, to our destination, we were, had the wind facing us, and Karen kept saying, this is so hard pedaling, so hard pedaling, and, uh, and uh, I was pedaling really good because I was in shape of putting that, uh, that, what, that thing in the, the closet up, but uh, anyhow, <laughs> but we're pedaling, and the wind, the wind is against us, and it was so hard. And when we finally turned around, we had the wind at our backs, and we were like, we were flying like in the Tour de France. I mean, we were like flying because the wind was behind us. And when you humble yourself and you admit you're wrong, if you're the husband or you, and you admit that you were wrong, and you're the, the wife and the Lord convicts you of something and you admit that you're wrong about something, and you humble yourself, and it's not your job to, to monitor their response. It's simply your job to be humble and to respond in humility, and God will bless that relationship. So in the relationship you know, between Paul and Barnabas, <clears throat> we see that these are two really good people. We've got good people that are having a conflict. And, and so that's important for us to remember. When you're in a conflict, when you're having an argument with somebody, resist the fact of thinking, this is a bad person. This is a monster. This is, they've done this. They're a villain. And you look at them in a distorted way. You have to look at them as they're a good person and you're a good person. And you have that conflict. Now, here's what's happened to me in marriage counseling over the years. I don't do a lot of counseling now, but when I used to do a lot of counseling, um, what would happen sometimes, I would have a couple come into me. And they would come in, and one of them is planning to get out. They're planning to get out, and they're going to they're gonna leave. And obviously, there's abuse or something bad, terrible going on. That's the right thing to do. But sometimes, uh, it's not the right thing to do. But I've had couples come in, and there's somebody that's made up their mind. They're going to quit. They're leaving. They've already left. And they're just going through, the, they're going through the, the motions of counseling. And that's just, you're sitting there, and you know that's going on. But here's what happens. I've seen it, I don't know how many times I've seen this. The person that wants to leave turns the other person into this this villain. They exaggerate their weaknesses. They exaggerate their mistakes. They exaggerate uh, how bad they are. And, 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 uh, I mean, they paint such a picture that, you know, it seems logical that they should leave. And what they're doing is building a justification for, theirs, their, for themselves to leave so that they look okay and that everybody that knows them knows that this person is a monster and they have to leave. So that's important that we have to watch out for that because remember that when you're in conflict with somebody, don't demonize them. Look at them as a good person. Here's something I do in our relationships that I, I work through sometimes. Here's a, something that's important. This is important because... Uh, 
Sometimes we, we have failed to value the person that we're in conflict with. And here's how we do that. We want to value the person uh, that we're in conflict with. And I do this all the time, actually. Uh, if somebody rubs me the wrong way or someone, you know, offends me or something happens, we're just all humans. We're all porcupines, you know, hitting each other. Uh, here's what happens is that uh, sometimes I just I look at them in a, in a negative way. But here's what the Lord has taught me to do. And here's what the Lord has really helped me with is, is this principle. The person that I'm in conflict with, that I'm frustrated with, that, that's aggravated me, God values that person more than I can imagine. Because here's the deal. If that person that frustrates me and has given me a hard time, we're the only person, we're the only person on the planet, God would have sent his son Jesus to die for that person. Boy, that changes the perspective. And, and it, you'll, it's just so amazing when you think about that. The, pers- the people that have been the most difficult in your life, if they were the only person alive, this is what God thinks of them. And they, if they were the only person alive, God would have sent, the Father would have sent his son Jesus to die for them. And here's the, here's the objective. The objective is in our relationships we have conflict with people. Our objective is for us to feel about those people the same way that God feels about them. So when I think about that, I think about the, uh, the, the parable in Luke 15 where it says that there was a sheep that went astray. The shepherd is watching over the sheep. And this one sheep went astray. And the shepherd leaves the nine and nine to go after that one sheep because that sheep is so infinitely valuable. So people that you struggle with, people that you're, you're, you're having difficulty with, that person is infinitely valuable before the Lord. So you change your attitude. When you're in conflict with somebody, James says, how is it that we take our tongue, the book of James says, how is it that we take our tongue and we praise the Lord and worship, but we take our tongues and we curse our fellow man who are made in God's image? So James is saying, put that person in the right frame. Put that person in the frame of how valuable they are to the Lord. So when you get angry at somebody or upset with somebody, just think about, oh my gosh, this is like God's favorite kid. God loves this child. God loves this person. God loves this person that's frustrating me. And, and you, 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 when you think about them in that context, it causes you to respond to them in a different way. Years ago, we had this video series uh, here at Bayshore that we were uh, having different uh, married couple groups uh, watch. It was by a guy named Gary Smalley back in the video days when we had VCRs. and really goes way back. And uh, there was this one video... Uh, by Gary Smalley, this famous Christian counselor. And he's talking about, in the video, he's talking about the wow factor. And the wow factor is, is that when you see your spouse or you see the person that, you know, uh, you're considering marrying, that when you see them, you're so excited to see them. Because what happens is you get married and, uh, and what happens is, you know, you kind of, you know, get in the straight life, you're going to work, you're paying your bills, and you sort of get into this thing where, you know, you don't value each other anymore, and you're just sort of going through the motions, you're paying your bills, and, and you see each other, and it doesn't, you know, it just nothing's happening. You're just kind of like, you know, got to go to work, and you got to clean the kitchen up and all that. Gary Smalley says, we need the wow factor. 
That means that you, when you see him, you say, wow, I can't believe it's you. And you want to have that attitude toward your spouse. And when Karen, this is something she does for me, um, and I'm not as good at it as I need to be for her. But when I come home from somebody, somewhere, uh, she's not sitting in the living room. She always comes to the door, and she greets me. And I, she just does that. And uh, it just means the world to me. And if she doesn't do that, I know she's broke her leg or something. Something's really going on bad. Or she's fixing, you know, the closet. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> but um, Gary Smalley said he's teaching on the wow factor. And he says that, uh, that, you know, we should have this wow factor. When you see your spouse, even if you've been married 40 years, ah, I can't believe it. You should have that really excited uh, response to them. So as he's giving the talk, he said, I'm going to pass around this, this old dusty violin. And he's passing the violin. I said, I want you to look at it. It's, it's in my family. And they're looking at the violin while he's doing his talk. And they're passing the violin down the rows. And then as he's giving his talk about the wow factor, he says, by the way, and the camera goes on to the person that's holding the violin. That violin that you're holding is a $250,000 Stradivarius violin. And the person that's holding it all of a sudden goes, because they're holding the violin that cost a quarter of a million dollars. And all of a sudden, their attitude changes toward the violin that they're holding. Before, it just looked like a dusty old violin, but now it's a $250,000 Stradivarius violin. And when you're in a relationship with somebody, and you're having an argument, and you're having a fuss, and you're not getting along good, one of the things you need to do is to reframe that person of who they really are. They are made in the image of God. They are infinitely valuable. My wife, Karen, was made by the, the Lord himself. She's made in the image of God. She has a personality that God gave her. God created her in a certain way. And if Karen were the only person living on the planet, I mean, there was never anybody else, and she was lost and needed to be saved, the Lord would have sent Jesus to die just for her. That's how valuable she is. So when you think about conflict with people, now listen, let's think about that in the political context. We got, a, we got a, uh, an election coming up Tuesday, and please go and vote. We have a very, very incredible privilege in this country to vote for our elected leaders. How many know that that is a good thing? Can you say a big amen? <clears throat> but let's always have this attitude. If You know, it is never never ever proper to hate someone of a different political persuasion than you because that person that party whatever your opposite party is if one person in that party were the only person on this planet jesus died for them there was a certain, certain political people that i've had difficulty with mentally in my head different times over the over my my adult life and the Lord has taught me, obviously, to pray for them. Don't agree with certain things. You don't have to go along and agree with everything. That's why we live in this wonderful democracy that we have. But it's never, ever proper. It's never, ever proper. It's not godly to hate someone that's different than you are because they have been made in the image of God created by the Lord. And you think of the person that's your greatest nemesis in your mind. Just think about who that person is. Maybe it comes to you right away. If they were the only person, Jesus would have died for them.
So my relationship, my dialogue, my debating with them has to be in the spirit of love. Has to be in the spirit of love and grace. So Paul and Barnabas, two good people. Barnabas was good. Paul was good. They had a disagreement. And some of the disagreement had to do with their personalities. Barnabas was a nurturer. He was a mercy-oriented person. He was micro-focused. He was the individual. He focused on the individual. He was the rescuer. If you went to Barnabas' house, he had all these stray dogs he brought home. He 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 always rooting for the underdog. And he believed in the person, that the person was more important than the project. Paul was a leader... And Paul believed in the big picture. And for Paul, the big picture, the group, the objective was more important than John Mark's situation. And so it came down to that. And how that works is you always have people like that that are in, uh, in relationships. I am a macro visionary person. I see the big picture. Karen sees the little picture. She's micro, I'm macro. Sometimes the women are macro, sometimes the men are micro. I'm a big picture person. I see the objective. Uh, that's very, very how I'm wired. And, you, and when you have conflict with somebody, one of the things you have to think about is what is their personal gift? What is their spiritual gift? They have a certain gift. Paul had the gift of leadership. He had the gift of leadership, and he was a leader, and he wanted to plant churches. And John Mark was unreliable. But what Barnabas saw in John Mark was he looked like, you know, he's like Michelangelo. He saw the block of marble and he saw an angel in there. He saw the potential in John Mark. And so Barnabas took John Mark and loved on him and helped him. And John Mark became helpful to Paul in his ministry. Later on, John Mark, it says that Paul said, bring John Mark because he's helpful for me in my ministry. And John Mark had a pretty good career. He ended up in, he ended up in Rome and he listened to Peter preach, and he wrote the notes from Peter's sermon, and we have the Gospel of Mark because John Mark ended up doing what he was called to do. Paul, on the other hand, ended up planting churches, and 13 of our epistles in the New Testament were written by Apostle Paul. So Paul had a different ministry than Barnabas had. Could they have worked together? I don't know if they could have long-term worked together. But here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes... Sometimes the gift of Paul, leadership, is what's needed. And sometimes the gift of Barnabas, the mercy gift, is what's needed. And if you're raising kids, you usually have a Paul and you usually have a Barnabas. The Paul is the disciplinarian. You're going to do the right thing and, uh, you know, you're grounded for the next five years because you, you know, left your bike out in the rain. You got that guy or that lady. Then you got the mercy person. Oh, honey, he just messed up. Let's give him another chance. I know he ran into the house with a car and wrecked the garage. I know, but let's give him another chance. You got, you got hard love and you got soft love coming together. And that's usually what happens. And in raising our kids, you know, Karen was the disciplinarian. I was the fun parent. Um, kids come to me. They want to go surfing, you know, in a hurricane. All right, go surfing in a hurricane. Karen wasn't so big on that, so we had some conversations about that kind of thing. You know, it's lightning out there, she said, and I would say, boys, don't wear your metal helmets. Just go out there and have a good time. (laughs) So listen to this. Some relationship conflicts are caused because of the different personalities and the different gifts, and sometimes mercy is needed, 
And sometimes leadership's needed. Sometimes you need a screwdriver. Sometimes you need a wrench. So the person that's the screwdriver in the relationship is not the problem. Their gift and their perspective is necessary sometimes. Sometimes the, the, uh, the wrench is needed. So different gifts, different times, different circumstances. Now, if you're dating somebody uh, and you've been dating a while and you think, this is wonderful. They are just like I am. They're exactly like I am. They think like I do. They want to do what I want to do. They have the same per- We agree on everything. It's a lie. It's not true. <laughs> you are blind. They are nothing like you. God seldom puts two people just like together. He puts two different people together that has different gifts. To me, my personality is... Whew, Let's go, let's get it done, let's move forward, let's charge ahead. Karen is like, you know, I'd say just jump in the car, let's go to Disney World. Man, we can get there, we're going to make it. Karen's more like, well, we want to know every little detail about like every hotel and how much is the gas going to be in Atlanta and all that. She wants to know all the details, and so we've learned to work together. If it was just Karen, she would never leave the house because she's always figuring out what everything is. And I kind of pull her ahead, and she slows me down so we can move ahead in wisdom. So say this with me. Different gifts uh, and different personalities each have something to offer to the kingdom of God. So Paul and Barnabas, two good people, two good people, two good people, and each of them were infinitely valuable, and they had different gifts, different perspectives, and God had a plan for each of them. So that's important for us to remember. And when you think about your relationships as we come to an end this morning, as we go through this series, we want the Lord to bless our relationships so that you know we're not porcupines living by ourselves. We can learn to understand ourselves and understand others better so that we can experience the intimacy and experience the closeness that God wants us to experience. Would you uh, bow your heads and lift your hands to the Lord? And would you, first of all, humble yourself in your relationship and say, Lord, give me the capacity to be a humble person, to admit my mistakes, Help me to be a person that you bless because I'm not filled with pride. I can, resp- I can repent and I can turn to you in humility. And Father God, as we pray over our relationships today that are here, as we go through this series, we thank you that you're going to really empower us to go to a different level in our relationships. And we thank you that you are loving us and filling us with your love. You poured out your love into our hearts so that we can pour our love out to other people. Help us during the election. We pray over our country during these times of great diversity. We ask you to help us as we move forward, Lord, to, uh, to honor those that you love and care for. We ask your mercy and your love be upon us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.